if you make just the smallest change to whatever um, you know they're doing, whatever habits they created, it makes like profound positive effects. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Episode 24 coming to you live from whatever time of day you're hopefully listening to this. Today, I had the opportunity, the pleasure, the fun, insert whatever word you want to interview my friend from chiropractic school, Dr. Corey Bailey. Little fun fact on Corey, him and I, I don't know if that's right English. I hope it is. Haley, if you're listening, I'm sorry. We almost were roommates together while I was still working in corporate finance and I was looking to find a roommate at graduate school. I saw him on the list and I did a little bit of digging into his Instagram and I said, oh, this guy looks kind of cool. And then I texted him and the guy didn't text me back for a couple of weeks. Turns out it was because he was in Europe and didn't have access to either his cell phone or cell service. I can't remember, but I digress. We had a really, really fun chat about both of our experiences from the first year in practice. So we graduated together last August. And so today is it's a little bit different. It's not really in the weeds about rehab specific things because Corey is more of a rehab focused chiropractor as he likes to call it. So we don't nerd out too much on that. What, what we really talk about in this is sort of both of our experiences in our first year in practice, the things we've learned, the things we wish we could do better, the things we hope people coming up after us do well. And it was just a really fun conversation. We, we, we spitballed some ideas back and forth. We talk about him and his experience running essentially his own clinic out of a gym, what he did to start or what he's doing to start building a practice as he's he's currently in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, but he'll be moving to Raleigh here in the next couple of months. And again, just, you know, he actually wanted to be in PT school or physical physical therapy school originally before becoming a chiropractor. So we talked about that. So this episode is a little different. Again, it, we don't get too deep in the weeds on any particular health or medical topic, but we do give kind of a broad landscape of kind of where we think the field in general is headed. And I think it'll, it's really cool insight for you all to hear what it's like for people in the industry to quote unquote talk shop and his information. You can find him on Instagram and his email address. We will link in the show notes. And as always, you can check the timestamps if there's any particular topic of interest that you find most interesting to you. And without ado, let's get into the conversation with Corey. It kept me going since, uh, since I actually started, uh, practicing there and stopped doing marketing elsewhere. Mm. Um, the gym, keeping me keeping my head above water you know right and uh and i've learned a lot like it's not the the greatest setup like i'm literally on the turf in the gym there's no space for me there so it's it's raw like if you want treated at the gym it's like it's in public uh we're hands-on and then we're we're getting into some training stuff after you know uh and so when i see people there it's like i i tell them that up front like if you if you don't feel comfortable in a public setting, then come see me at the clinic, you know, sometime this week. Yeah. What percentage of people would you say don't feel comfortable being treated in public and want to go to the clinic? I, I think that the percentage that actually tell me is about 50, 50. Mm. And I think the percentage of the people that actually do care that about being in a public setting and being treated is like about 80. Cause there, mm. there's like some people that I'll, I'll still treat in public and it'll be kind of awkward. Like you don't get that one-on-one -on -one intimacy uh, and like kind of build that relationship with them in a public setting. Cause they're just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Open yeah. Bay. Everybody can hear me talking about my health insecurities. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm asking those questions. I think that's what makes it awkward. Like I know for a fact, I need a space set aside if I'm in a gym, gym setting, like in the future, I need one-on-one -on -one space to, to talk to these people because uh, what you and I do is a lot different than the majority of the profession. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes, you know, getting to know the individual and it takes some hard conversations most of the time, especially with people that are in pain. Um, and so like being out on the turf, as fun as it is, like the people that, 
that just need a little bit of work, like adjusted manual therapy to make their workouts a little bit better. It's like, it works fine. Uh, but the majority of people that actually need help, like it, it can't be that way. <laughs> Do you get a lot of people who say someone watches you adjust in the gym and they're just a member and they're like, Oh, I didn't know we had that. So then they come up to you and talk to you right after the appointment and get a lot of that. Yeah. All the yeah. time. And yep. They ask for a lot of free stuff. It's what, like a pen or like a free massage or something? Like a free adjustment. Oh. Uh, do no. People How just ask is... for that? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> and and I'm just like, and I, I won't tell them either, like how much it is. I'll just be like, well, do you have something going on? And I'll try to like work them up. Um, I learned that the hard way. I like, you know, told people how much it was and I gave them a card. Yep. And then they never <laughs> come back. <laughs> you never hear from them. <laughs> and so... Yeah, it's all it's all part of like starting a business. So, yeah, that's a, that's such a good point. Is that when someone just walks up and asks a question, the important thing for us to do is then ask more questions. Because I did the same thing as you when I started. I would I would give them the the speech, the rant, the spiel, give them a card, and never see them again. Yeah, for the whole time, you get like blank stares. Yep, like through your, your whole you know elevator speech. Exactly, but and you're sitting there mentally. How... Yeah, you don't know the alternative yet. You guys still got to figure it out as you fumble through the conversation. And then it's kind of like the Michael Scott quote of, I just start a conversation. I hope I figure it out as I can make my way through it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the people in, like I said, like Myrtle Beach, this is, this is a, a place with a lot of retired individuals that have nothing to do. So they're in the gym for hours on end and then they never stop talking to you. And even like you could, say, Hey, like I have somebody They're like, Oh, hey, like one more thing, you know, um, like you can't get away from them. And that's the other thing that's like frustrating. They don't, they don't need or want rather anything from you, like services or whatever. They just want somebody to, to listen to their health history for whatever reason. And they'll say some, some very personal stuff like out in public. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. Got it. Right. I'll document it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> How did you go about building the relationship with the gym? Did you just walk in and say, hey, you know, I'm new here. I'd like to do this. Uh, yeah. So this is the reason why uh, in, I want to take like a couple months to kind of vet the area when we moved to Raleigh. Um, here, I didn't just walk. Well, I did. I walked into a couple of gyms. Uh, I actually joined a couple of gyms, like paid for memberships and worked out there for a couple of months. Um, but I wasn't really getting anywhere with that stuff. And I did a, a running event with the, the chiropractor that I work with uh, one weekend. And our tent was set up right next to the Anytime Fitness tent. And the owner was there, like, handing out information. And, and so we, um, we started talking. And he was the coolest guy. And we talked for probably, you know, a couple hours, like, throughout the day. And so I decided to walk into that gym and say, Hey, like, you know, I'm looking for, I was, it was before I graduated. I said, I'm looking for a part-time training job. And I know you, you said that you have some one-on-one -on -one in small group training here. Like, can we work something out? And that's kind of how it started. He trained me. Um, well, he paid for me to get sales training on how they run their business. So we don't know anytime fitness, if you join and get a membership, you actually have to get set up with a personal trainer to do what's called a fitness consultation. So it's an hour long conversation. You do a, a mock workout and then you talk about like how you can help them reach their goals, et cetera. Well, he paid to, for me to get training on that whole sales process and how to handle objections and things like that. Like most invaluable experience I ever had in my life. Um, and then once I, Graduated, got a license, started practicing, it kind of uh, grew from there. So it was somebody that I knew that I could get into business with that, that I wouldn't get into trouble um, early on, like some of our classmates have or friends. Mm. And you could train initially because you had like your CSCS and you have like prior personal training experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And did he kind of know that you're going to segue eventually into having it be more clinical based and taking histories and doing exams and... Yeah. So I told him up front, I said, I said, I actually want this to be a little bit more clinical, even though I haven't gotten my license and I'm not treating. Mm. I said, I 
I want to do the force up a little bit different than the way that you guys do your, your training. Cause it is, it's very structured um, and it works. It's, it's a proven process and they sell a ton of training um, and they get a lot of people better too. Um, so it, what the traditional style was, was you, you get them on like an in-body type thing, talk about calorie intake, talk about you know progress, et cetera. And then you, you actually put them through like a 15 minute workout. Well, for me, instead of doing like the, the fitness stuff, I would do a little bit of it, but then ask like, Hey, is there anything that's limiting you? And from like whatever workout fitness goals you have. Mm-hmm. And then when I brought them to the turf, I would do like a movement assessment and some table tests, start implementing active care and then retesting these things to, to create buy-in. And um, I was you know, making a lot of quick changes and getting a lot of people excited about uh, like getting back into the gym and knowing that they can work with somebody without injuring themselves, if that makes mm. sense. They'll reach their fitness goals. Like that's the big seller there. Uh, and so he was, he was very open. He literally lets me do whatever I want. And I like, if, <laughs> if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would be as successful as I am right now running my practice. Wow. So, yeah. I bet you in 10, 15, 20 years, you'll still remember this guy and still hold such a high place in thinking of him. That's cool. Yeah. I think it makes the future a little bit harder. Like I got to find a, a Patrick. That's what I say. I say yeah. to him all the time. Like, you got a Patrick up in Raleigh. Like <laughs> I need a guy like you to get into business with. Yeah. You know? Are there any other anytime fitness in Raleigh that you could use Patrick to find connections? Yeah. I, I talked to him about it. It's just like, most like anytime fitness uh owners or franchise owners um aren't as involved as he is like he's a very community driven individual and so you walk in the door and you say your name for the first time and you meet him he'll never forget it like he won't even have to recheck he'll remember your name is nick for the the rest of the time that you ever interact with him Mm, and i don't even do that all the time that's impressive no i have to look at the schedule (laughs) No, I remember. I thought I was saying, remember my own name. Oh, you remember your own name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Patrick's better at that than me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, have you started? I'm assuming you've started reaching out to other maybe big box gyms, maybe even like a lifetime fitness to see if there's any. Because I, I remember from Raleigh that there was a few of those up there. Yeah. Lifetime actually has their own uh, chiropractic clinic in it. That's right. And, yeah. And, it's interesting though, because it's it's managed by the same individual like across the country, and so it's you get like a fixed salary, and you have to learn a specific technique because it's a business, and they want every lifetime to be similar. So like if you went to Lifetime in Raleigh and then traveled to Phoenix and went to a Lifetime out there, um, you should expect the same um, quality of care uh, across all of them. And that's not what I want to do. So, but I did, mm. I did reach to, to some of those things um, or some of the, those type of gyms. And I have a list, like a folder in my, uh, in my iPad of every single like boutique fitness club in Raleigh that I plan on at least visiting, like showing face and asking questions. And I think like what I've learned is that as long as I go into a place and show that I'm committed to like whatever their mission is, mm. I think that makes the conversation like the business conversation later on, if that's going to be a thing, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And did you learn that the hard way by initially going in and saying, Hey, this is what I'm good at without even understanding what the gym's goal was. I got shot down a thousand times. Mm. Every single CrossFit box in little beach. I don't do CrossFit. Um, every single one I stopped by, talked to the owners, talked about maybe doing a workshop, shot me down. What was uh, their reason? Was, it was respectfully. Like I didn't, it didn't take any hard feelings whatsoever. It's just like, they literally straight up said to me, uh, we have a lot of, you know, physical therapists and chiropractors that go here. Um, if you were to, to join the gym for a couple months, uh, then we can maybe talk about doing something like that. But to just bring you in and, and you not be a part of the club. Like it, it just doesn't look good from our member perspective. And um, that's not really what we do anyway. So, right. So yeah, I learned the hard way. Yeah. But now, you know, you know, yeah, now I know. 
Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit. So when either when people see you doing what you're doing to other people at the gym or when people ask, Hey, what do you do? Do you say chiropractor or how do you answer that question? Yeah. So I, I say, I say I'm a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. I, I try not to leave it at that because um, everybody has an expectation of what a chiropractor does. Exactly. And so I, I literally say that it's like, I'm a chiropractor. I also do active care things. Like I care I'm in a gym right now. It's typically when I, where I do my screenings or where I talk to people. Uh, and so when I'm there, I said, I'm, I'm actually here in this setting because I care and I'm very passionate about active care, about getting people to whatever fitness goals that they may have and actually helping them, you know, reach those goals, not just making them feel better, like taking pain away. Um, and so I use, I always say I use a, an adjustment or manipulation as more of a tool instead of like a, an all-encompassing treatment. And that usually gets people like uh, asking more questions, I guess. And so I, I use that as like the segue into be into asking like, hey, like if you have something going on that's limiting you from movement, like a shoulder issue or a hip issue, I feel very confident that I can work that up and, and help you, um, you know, get over that, that, that whatever you're feeling to, you know, get back into exercising in a way that's, that feels a little bit better for you, I guess. Mm. It just depends on the conversation of the person I'm talking to. Yeah. I love that you highlighted that because I think it is very important that we give the, I'm a chiropractor, but because like you said, if we just tell them that, then their expectation is, oh, you'll adjust me X amount of times per week for X amount of months. And then I'll, you know, do all this thing. Little do they know that we like to do a bunch of other things and not saying other chiropractors don't, but it's, it does feel like there's this different wave, particularly in our generation of people who go to chiropractic school, but they realize the scope is broad enough that then we can kind of turn it into our own thing. Right. Yeah. And, it, and that's the hardest part, I think, about being a chiropractor. And we have to have that that conversation that I'm a chiropractor, but mm-hmm. because the profession is is so versatile. And you have no idea what you're going to step into. Like if you just Googled a chiropractor and walked in the door, you have no idea what you're walking into. <clears throat> and I all have this conversation too with patients um, when they talk about physical therapy, like not working for whatever they were doing and uh, all of these things. I say, well, you shouldn't actually be able to walk into a physical therapy office or a chiropractor's office that's rehab oriented and know the difference at all, if they're any good. And, and if that's not the case, then- You mean not it, know the difference? What's that? Did you say know the difference or not know the difference? Not know the difference. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, between a rehab-oriented chiropractor and a physical therapist. I agree, if, yep. If, they're, they're, <clears throat> um, if that's not the case, then you're probably not getting unique, like individualized care for whatever you have going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, chiropractic, is uh even more versatile like you do functional medicine um most physical therapists don't do that Mm -hmm. Uh, there's also techniques and more spiritual things and it the list goes on acupuncture traditional chinese medicine uh, it never ends um and so it's important as much as we vet our patients we're talking about this uh earlier as much as we want to get a patient that like we truly enjoy treating, they should be vetting us in the process. Like, and sometimes I've had those hard conversations with patients to be like, Hey, like this isn't really working. Um, maybe I'm not the person for you for whatever you expect uh, to, to get when you come into the clinic. And I have referrals from, from there. Like maybe you should see this person. Um, which is tough when you start a business. Yes. Saying no to people the first year. Oof. Yeah. It is so hard, but in order for us to like truly help people, we need to be passionate about what we're actually doing. And, and that's the reason that we need to have those conversations. Right. So I, I don't want to waste anybody's time or money. Uh, and if I, if I need to have that conversation, I will, because nobody's getting better at the end of the day. Yeah. We're and then they're not feeling better. So, yeah. So what kind of things do people tell you that make you think, Ooh, I'm probably not your 
your chiropractor? Uh, just, I hate when people, and, and this is more of a personal, like, irk. I, I hate when people come in, like, dictating their treatment. Mm. And it's okay if they do, because I, I can have the conversation with them, like, yeah, I can absolutely do this thing. Like, dry needling is, is a, a big one. Like, people come into me and say, hey, I want dry needle. And I'm like, okay, well, like, what do you have going on? Because dry needling is such a specific tool that it's, it may or may not help the person saying that to me. But if at the end of the day, they want to be dry needled only, then I'm just like, uh, you know, if you don't, if you're not open to other treatments, I can absolutely dry needle you. I could, if you're expecting that, I'll throw a needle in you. But I want to do some other things that I know are going to help. Um, and sometimes that gets a little bit of, uh, a little bit of hesitation with that conversation and even people that will be open in conversation and then never come back just completely goes to me and that's typically like how the that happens like i'll have the conversation and then never see them again yeah i think that's important for the listeners out there is that if you're going to another healthcare provider and you're already saying what you what specific treatment you want from them that you're almost limiting what we can do because that end stage treatment is Yes, it's part of it. But the other half is our ability to take a history and more importantly, to understand what's going on because then the treatment could completely change. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that uh, I think has gotten lost in the majority of the profession is that we're clinicians first. Um, like we're, we're actually testing, assessing, like trying to come up with not only a narrative um, for the individual, like how you actually communicate that to them, but understanding every single treatment that you implement should be intentional. And if you just come to me and say, I want dry needle and I dry needle you, that's not an intentional treatment other than giving you what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, in the majority of the time, it's not a single treatment that's going to get somebody better. It's like actually knowing that they are supposed to be in the office and not elsewhere. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I remember we had a lot of, colleagues in school who would say, you know, we need more adjusting classes. They need to teach us more hands-on stuff. And I completely understand where they were coming from, but that's mm -hmm. discounts. As you just said, our role as a clinician first, and Hey, we have a pretty broad scope, but because of that, we need to be able to recognize when it's within our wheelhouse, when it's not within our wheelhouse. And that also depends on the individual, but it is funny how, you know, just some people expected it to be just more of a technician than a clinician thing. Right. Uh, but I, to the profession's uh, defense here, um, playing devil's advocate, it's if you're a technician, you make a lot of money. You do, you do, you 100% do. Yep. And you, and you have to think way less. And so I don't, I don't blame, you know, those people. That's why, that's why I don't, I don't uh, hesitate to say that I'm a chiropractor. Like I'm very proud to be a chiropractor. Um, it's just I know that we can offer so much more. And I didn't get into this profession to be a technician. I was a PT tech. Like, yeah, I, I literally did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I literally did that. I wanted to know exactly what I was doing and why. You know, I had I had no idea, no joke. I had I never seen a chiropractor before I went to school. Um, I had no idea what the profession could do or like what the scope was. Uh, and I, when we got to school and we started taking blood pressures and like looking into eyes and ears and talking about, you know, medicine. <laughs> um, I was like dumbfounded. I had no idea that's what I was going to learn yeah. at all. But I'm very grateful because I use those, those tools, every, maybe not looking into people's eyes, but I use those clinical tools every single day. And I've helped a ton of people, but, you know, pat on the back of it. Right. I helped a ton of people get to the providers that they actually needed to be. Um, because I wasn't the one. Yeah. And they will be forever grateful to you for that, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't, you know, I I fear that that same individual that needed surgery would go to a joint and it would be adjusted and mm -hmm. not help. Yeah. That's the issue. And mm -hmm. the and not the patient's fault because the patient just thinks they already have an expectation that a chiropractor is going to adjust them. They have no idea that we can assess them in a way that can literally save their life or quality of life later on. Yeah. Uh, so I, oh man, this, this conversation can, <laughs> can wrap it all hard. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah. I think if more people understood that 
our first year of school looks very similar to a traditional medical school and that it has become very medicinized, if that even is a word. And I think it's to our benefit. Yeah. But I think that's where people such as yourself, you, the beauty of being a chiropractor is you can take it and make it your own. And like you said, you kind of almost knew that from the beginning or correct me if I'm not on that one, that you kind of make it your own thing. Yeah. 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 No, you're exactly right. And, uh, I, I think it's tough. Well, so I'm grateful. So I, I'll back up a little bit. I went to uh, physical therapy school. I was pre-PT in, in undergrad, um, exercise science. And then I worked as a, a PT tech for two years and a trainer, et cetera. Um, uh, long story short, because I didn't keep my grades up, lost my guaranteed PT school seat, and then was retaking classes as I worked for two years to get back into PT school. Um, obviously didn't end up working out. I actually got denied twice and then mm. chiropractic school, uh, gratefully took me, in. <laughs> you know, like the standards are low enough that they accepted me. Whereas PT school, you need a three, eight, three, nine or above to compete against everybody, you know, applying to those positions. Why is it so stringent to get into PT school? It's the demand. I think mm. it's like, uh, so me having a guaranteed seat, I just needed to maintain a three, two, uh, whatever and then I had a seat in, in PT school and I had a, a 3-0 like it was something like just there you know yeah. and it was so frustrating for me to find out when I went to my advisors that uh that they told me if I didn't at least have a 3-8 I wouldn't have a chance like at getting into PT school there because I'm competing against everybody across the country instead of just people in my class and I'm here like, you you know <laughs> you know who I am. I went to school here. Like, you know, I work hard and this is my passion. Um, but that's just the way it is. I don't know why, you know, uh, anyway, we went down a rabbit hole there, but chiropractic school, their standards are a little bit less. The demand's a little bit lower. Maybe it's increasing. Maybe it's not. Cause there's, you know, Palmer West, for instance, just, um, just announced that they aren't a school anymore after this class runs through. Oh, I didn't even know that. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow yeah so i i don't know why it's it's so different but i am forever grateful that it worked out this way because i couldn't be happier with things that i do yeah um and i knew i had people that told me you know back to your original question um i knew people who were chiropractors like i followed them on instagram i took courses before i went to school and so i knew that the scope of practice could be vastly different than what the majority of the profession offered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can definitely empathize with you on that because being in a corporate finance background, the the flexibility to get into chiropractic school, I am eternally grateful for to have that opportunity. And then, like we said, you can come and spin it into your own. So been in practice for about a year now, right? So what would you say are the things that excite you more than they thought they would or what have been some biggest things that your expectations were just totally off from how they've actually been yeah so my my first patient my first paying patient ever um was a cervical myelopathy and the 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 moment i assessed him when he came in i think it was like low back pain he was seeing a, a spine surgeon was scheduled for lumbar spine surgery and when I was doing an assessment, I said, hey, like, we need to get a second opinion here. Like, I think it's actually something going on with your cervical spine not to, like, catastrophize anything. I think we just need to get some imaging elsewhere before you get lumbar spine surgery. And, and so having that assessment and being not – I wasn't confident whatsoever. I was just, like, trying to take in all this information because we, we never really see – positive signs for things like that in school right and so when you see it for the first time you're like holy crap oh dang yeah what do i do here yeah um, and so like to get him to the place that he actually needed to be and get the help that he needed that was more satisfying than any uh rehab oriented patient that i had that got better with like you know dns positions with neck pain etc yeah um and so, and I never really expected that to be the case uh, when I went to chiropractic school. Right. Like I love the clinical aspect of it uh, so much. Yeah. 
And for those of the listeners who are unfamiliar, cervical myelopathy essentially just means a very potentially severe condition affecting the cervical spine where people could lose blood flow and even kind of sense of feeling in the face. They could lose blood flow to the brain. I mean, it's a very severe condition. And the fact that that was your first person you saw first or first thing. pain person, you know, I bet because of that, you'll never forget what a cervical myelopathy presents as. <laughs> because no, it's, it's, it's that impressionable now. No, it, no, that's true. And it's, um, and it's the, it actually uh, made me be a lot more intentional with my assessments. And so everybody with neck and low back pain, like I'm doing a pretty thorough neuro exam because sometimes those things hide, you know, you just never know. Right. So what other big expectation shifts have you found? Uh, the business aspect. Yeah. I knew that I would enjoy it, but man, is it hard? <laughs> it is so hard. Um, so I don't know if it was something I was necessarily excited about. I just knew that I needed to do it in order to be happy with what I'm doing. Um, and I've learned a lot of things over the last year, um, in a good way, but I, I don't have any other thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I think it, you know, we, I think we all build up this expectation of how hard it is and it's one thing to prepare for it, but until you're quote unquote in the trenches, you just don't understand how difficult it is to, especially, I mean, the first time you get someone to pay for your services is probably like you have this like euphoric moment and you're like, Oh, okay. Now I need to do this again, many more hundreds of times <laughs> to keep the lights yeah. on in my house. Yeah. Preferably like more than one in a day. Yeah. That would, that would be, that would be ideal. Yeah. Um, the, I think the hardest part for me is the management aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a couple of book resources like profit first is a good one. Same. Yep. Some tax things, but here's the thing though, like people will tell you, mentors will tell you, you know, create an LLC, um, elect to be an S corp. Uh, this is how you should do this. This is how you should do that. Uh, and then you get into it and you have, you realize that there is a million things for each category that people told you to do. Yep. Mm. And you have Double no, click. yep. I'm just filling out, signing my name, like writing my tax ID number on, on things. I had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, it's kind of scary, you know, cause it's your license. It's your livelihood. Right. Uh, but the whole learning process has been very rewarding uh, in and out of the, the hard parts. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading profit first. Yeah. You read a one liner and it says do X, Y, Z. Great. You go do X, Y, Z. And then you realize you need four more alphabets in order to accomplish X, Y, Z. And you're going, dang. And I guess, you know, <laughs> you, you can only put so much nuance in a book. And I guess that's part of the goal is for them to get you bought in. And then you invest more with them once you were like, Hey, I understand the principles, but now I want to see how to do it. Yeah. And that's almost kind yeah. of like what we do with, with, the patients that we work with is we can't, you don't give them the whole blueprint because then it kind of defeats the purpose. You need to have them have some accountability and someone walk them through the blueprint. Right. And it's, I, I think um, we get caught up in the nuance too much, like the, the nitty gritty details um, where what that will result in is, is looking or seeking perfection with your patients. And that, that comes off, in a way that's uh, that they can't find success unless you know they do it a certain way, and that doesn't really foster a really good rapport, especially in rehab and uh, functional medicine world. Mm -hmm. You know, I in uh, I I love that we're kind of getting onto this topic because uh, I know that I can learn a lot from from you in this in this uh, in this uh, in this world. What I have found is that just making the smallest change, provided you do a really good history, understand where the patient is, and understand like what the lowest hanging fruit is in their case. If you make just the smallest change to whatever um, you know they're doing, whatever habits they created, it makes like profound positive effects with what they're dealing with, and. I, I learned that um, trying not to be so overwhelming to the patient has helped 
with outcomes a, a little bit quicker and a little bit more, uh, a little bit easier for the patients. Uh, but that takes that takes time, and I'm still I'm not great at it still because when you're especially as a new doctor, you're, you're doing so many things, so you want to try to do so many things to help them. Right. You and know? what are the what are a couple of the few really low hanging fruit that you've seen just really move the needle with people? Uh, literally, when I can get them to stop eating at a restaurant, you know, every single day of the week. Mm. And it's funny because like you, you see where people's priorities lie in their lifestyles, because I see a lot of people on fixed incomes that talk about not being able to do a certain amount of visits because they can't afford it. But then you look at, you know, what they're actually doing day to day and um, they're eating uh, a nice restaurant and then fast food every day. And then they don't, they never actually cook for themselves. They just have TV meals. Um, and so it's frustrating and we can't be like, Hey, like, why don't you just stop doing this thing? And then we can actually help you. Right. Uh, it's like trying to motivate them to cook one day instead of telling, not telling them, Hey, don't do this thing. Mm. Um, and making that change. Like I had an individual that came in with frozen shoulder um, older female, uh, had a lot of other comorbidities, um, or health issues that she was dealing, dealing with. And she came in and she couldn't move her shoulder. And I said, well, um, what are some, or here are some other reasons why this could be happening right now. And, and typically with frozen shoulder, there's other systemic issues at play. Like thyroid disease is a big one. Diabetes is a big one. Being female postmenopausal is a big risk factor. Mm -hmm. And so for them to come in and expect me to move their shoulder around, massage, stretch, and adjust them, and that they're going to get better is like, I'm not really helping them. Um, and so for this, my, this uh, patient, I really motivated them to like actually eat an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. uh, I could have that conversation up front because she actually said it to me. Um, and as soon as I provided her resources and she started making changes, her range of motion came back within like two weeks. It was mm, crazy. That's cool. Wow. Whereas if you look at the, the research, it takes months for the freezing and thawing phase of frozen shoulder. That just, it literally just like myth busted that whole thing. Yeah. Like people just eat of just a little bit healthier and that stuff probably, probably wouldn't happen. You and know? you just changed her paradigm. Right. So now she's going to the next person she meets who maybe in her friend group has that similar issue. She's going to say, oh, hey, do you know if the things you eat can affect your ability to move your shoulder overhead? Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Um, but it's cool, too. And, and <laughs> it's funny because she she made she like she worked really hard to make those changes because she saw progress really quickly. And then now I'm still treating her like, you know, 10 months later she's falling off a little bit and then some other aches and pains are coming back. And so we keep, you know, bringing that conversation back. Like we need to, you know, get back on the, on the tracks here a little bit and you'll probably feel better. Um, but it is, she's, she's been a very good patient to me in, in referrals. <laughs> so mm, it's cool. Yeah. When you yeah change someone's paradigm that much, I want to highlight something you said in there about getting off the tracks. That's a conversation I've found incredibly valuable for people is, if your life has been off the tracks for a couple decades, it's not going to, we're not going to get back on in a week. We're going to be course correcting if it's been a couple decades or at least a couple months. And during that couple month period, there's going to be ups for sure. There's also going to be some downs just because that's life. And I think setting the expectation, if, if you can set that expectation right for them of how many ups and downs will be, which is really hard your first year, that'll go the longest toward them almost even trusting you and not giving up. Yeah. 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 That, that is one of the hardest things is setting that expectation. Right. Uh, we need to know like that forces us to know anatomy, physiology, neurophysiology, because um, if somebody comes in with like an ankle sprain versus frozen shoulder from maybe an underlying systemic condition or health, health problems, like those are two completely different pathologies that we need to know like hey like this is what the research says in terms of timeline um but it could be less if we do these things well there's a lot of things that walk through the door that i had no clue about the moment that they walked in 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's good for us because we can use our resources um, to learn about that thing. And then the next one that comes in, you're a little bit more confident with it. Yeah. Uh, but having that confidence when you are, when you have zero confidence in what you're seeing is so difficult. Building confidence is the most uncomfortable thing because you have to go through that moment of someone walking in and you have no idea what to do. Yeah. And as long as you have the attitude of, Hey, I don't know now, but, but I will, but it's that, just that moment of not knowing is it's so uncomfortable to sit in that. It is. It is. And you said, um, what you said was perfect. Uh, I've actually had that conversation. I said, I said to the patient, like, listen, I have no idea um, why are all these things are happening uh, with you right now, but I have a really vast network of mentors that I can um, workshop this stuff with to come up with a plan. And I promise you that I'm going to work my hardest to make that happen. And if you have that conversation, like typically people be like, oh, okay. Because when they go to their, you know, medical provider or other providers, they don't get that kind of time with the doctor themselves. And so we're already a step ahead on that front. Mm -hmm. And I think people, that's part of why some people get turned away by price of some of the services we offer because they're used to either insurance coverage or being much cheaper. But then when you realize how much time, not only that we're spending in front of you, but back-end work that we're spending, look meticulously reviewing your intake forms, trying to look for questions that nobody's thought of or picking up on things no one else has, takes so much mental capacity and time that we're like, we deserve to be <laughs> like paid and rewarded for that. Yes. And when you're in private practice, like doing this on your own, that is also one of the hardest things ever to do mm. because we don't know, like it, if you don't have any background in business, so you, you do have a background in business. So you, um, you were a, a little bit farther ahead than I was starting, but I had no idea how to actually sell myself to help people. Um, and it's, there's what I thought I was a little bit, um, hesitant to get any sales training because when you hear sales, you hear like, yeah, yeah right. Yep. You mm-hmm. throw up. Um, when I was forced to do the sales training for Anytime Fitness, that opened my eyes so much to like how sales can actually be helpful. The reality is like we need to make money to keep the lights on to help people. And unfortunately, insurance doesn't cover the things that we do most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't get me excited. It doesn't... Uh, <clears throat> I can't say this in a way that's like, doesn't sound salesy. Yeah. But, yep. but I'm only getting paid $25 for a spinal adjustment with the majority of clientele being Medicare. Um, and I'm seeing patients for 20, 30 minutes, sometimes longer. I can't keep lights on. I can't nope. run a business. Out. Nope. Uh, and even, you know, $55 they paid out of pocket for whatever our fee schedule is, is not enough for that amount of time. Like, we need to make a lot more than that in order to be successful and help more people. Um, and learning how to advocate for yourself and sell yourself is really uncomfortable when you don't know how to do it. Yep. And you listen, I'm sure maybe you did this. You listen to recordings of yourself and maybe other quote unquote sales conversations you had. And it makes you want to crawl, <laughs> crawl into a ball and think, how did I get that far off the track so fast? Yeah, because you're just like, oh, like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is what I can do. Yeah, I can help you. Yeah, I can help you for sure. Like, this is what it's going to be. Uh, but like, we can make it a little bit less. Like, we could, you know, give you a discount here. And they're like, that's sometimes like what comes out of my mouth. Um, and so what I've learned is to just show value, <clears throat> create that rapport, and then just be like, hey, like, this is what I know. Like, if you give me three weeks, a couple times a week, we can go up or down if we need to. Like, I know we can make a change. So this is what it's going to take. Um, but even still, it's hard. Yeah. Because yeah. even still, some people, they don't, their expectation is one thing. And when they walk into you and you, they think Y and you tell them X, there's going to be some discrepancies, which is where having that initial conversation to try and bring those expectations back in. Yeah. Because yeah. we're different. Right? Yeah. Like we, we were not just, you know, taking an x-ray and adjusting, 
there's a place, a time and place for those things. For but sure. like when people have issues and they have goals, like we are in the perfect position to help them. Yeah. Um, but we're still a chiropractor and people have expectations about what a chiropractor does. Um, and so sometimes that first visit, uh, it takes a lot of convincing um, to the patient that we can offer a lot more than just an adjustment, you know? Mm. And I, I kind of want to double click on something you said there. Why do you think there is within the profession of chiropractic? So for those of you who aren't chiropractors, I'm sorry, maybe you won't find this conversation as valuable, but why do you think there is such this just disagreement or just people bashing the other side? So, I mean, even if, if you're not in this profession, you probably can appreciate that if someone believes something the opposite of you, there's just people bash it left instead of appreciating that there, it's a tool just like anything else. Like, why do you think that happens? I think I, to be honest, I think it's an ego thing. Mm. Um, uh, and there's varying, it's kind of like a spectrum. Like there's people out there that think that what they're doing is the Holy grail, you know? And there's a lot of people out there that implemented treatments that are very successful in helping a lot of people. And so when they can do that in like a five minute appointment versus a 20, 30 minute appointment. Um, they can also get paid a lot more. Like it's a little bit more motivating. Um, then why would they change, you know, what they're doing? And I think the, the other end of that is that there's a lot of chiropractors that come out that are so naive to like what we can actually do and what's the right way to do it, that they get locked into these businesses and management companies that, give them the script and then they take that script as truth and then they start to believe it. Mm -hmm. uh, also, they still help people. So like, you know, it's, they're not hurting anybody unless they hurt somebody. And the risk for that doing chiropractic work is very low unless you have a strap attached to their neck and you're yanking. Mm. I, I love them. Yeah. That's all another conversation now. <laughs> right. And so I think uh, there's a business piece and there's the naivety is that a word? Naivety? Naivety? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, for chiropractors coming out uh, that just like don't know what to do, where to do it, how to do it. Um, and this is the biggest difference between chiropractic school and uh, even PT school, but mainly medical school, is that when you graduate medical school, like you're not done. You go to a residency for four years at least. Mm -hmm. And if you want you do another fellowship that could be years more and so these people are uh literally being trained on how, how to do what when um the medical procedures involve um the typically if it's a, a university type school like you're you're learning the stuff like from high level individuals um and we just don't have that in this profession and i think that's probably where a lot of that comes from mm, yeah it's almost to return to where we said earlier, medical school turns you into a technician at some point and it should, right? I want my, the guy who operated on my knee to have operated on a lot of knees right. <laughs> and not have helped people with intermittent fasting approaches. And I think, yeah, right. yeah I think, but, but chiropractic school almost, it lends itself to, if you have the entrepreneurial spirit, you can thrive. And I think maybe some people who go into it and don't yeah, and you don't have to have it initially, but if you're coming in expecting to be spoon-fed money and information and success when you leave, it's it's gonna it's a hard wake up. Yeah, yep. It's there isn't uh, any system in place that students can come out and make a little bit of money, even just enough to live, more than you know eating ramen noodles uh, every night in PBJ, uh, and so. It's, it's a big and scary world out there, especially for the people that don't put extra time into other things at school. Mm -hmm. And so you were president of the Functional Med Club. I was president of RTP Club. Like mm -hmm. we learned a ton because we wanted to learn a ton. Mm -hmm. And that set us up for a little bit more of success when we got out. Whereas the people that just go to chiropractic school to be a chiro and only do chiropractic things, I think are... Um, they're kind of set up for, for failure in that respect. Um, unless they have family or friends that are telling them to do this thing and they can kind of be implemented right away. You mm, know? Yeah. And you've been really good, you know, expand on that R2P a little bit to, and giving back 
to other students to kind of help them not go through the same things you went through. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit of an idea of what R2P is and the kind of the things you're doing with the organization to help teach people stuff? Yeah, so R2P is Rehab to Performance. It's an organization of mainly chiropractors, but also uh, physical therapists as well, um, to basically grow the community of really good conservative care in more specifically learning how to be a really good clinician and then learning how to be a really good rehab or active care individual. Um, and so what R2P was at school was just a, a club where we mainly talked about clinical assessment of different body regions and then you know active care that might uh, be a really good supplement to those things that you find. Um, but the communication with the organization, like the board of the organization and the things that they were doing was uh, almost non-existent. Um, and so when I was going through student clinic with you, uh, myself, um, I'm going to throw some names out here. These are other chiropractors now, uh, but there were students at the time. Mm -hmm. So Tyler Johnson was at UWS. He's actually my best friend since first grade. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, Mitch Toffin, Jared Moore and Natasha Torgensen from different chiropractic schools that were all involved in R2P said, hey, we need to be able to communicate with the board more. And so that became the first national student executive board that was more than just a couple students. Um, and since that moment, I was asked to be on the, the board of directors for R2P to continue that thing. And so my role on the board is to basically like organize the National Student Executive Board and make sure all of the student clubs have the resources that they need um, to make their clubs really, really good. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> also foster new ideas for the organization moving forward um, with the overarching goal of maintaining that communication between the RTP affiliated doctors, chiropractors, PTs, and the, the students that are running the student clubs. Mm. So, Sorry, long-winded introduction to the organization. No, I love it. We need it. Yep. But I think it's it's important to, to have that kind of introduction because what R2P is about and what I continue to, to uh, promote within the organization is offering an outlet for students that want more out of the curriculum. You know, like we learn a ton of valuable things in the chiropractic curriculum, manipulation, clinical assessment. Um, those two things are probably the main ones, anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, like all of these things, biochemistry involved too. All of these things are really, really valuable topics to know um, moving forward when we're actually managing cases with patients. But what we don't get is the integration or application of them all together. Mm. So we learn anatomy and then we apply anatomy. We learn biochemistry and then we apply biochemistry but like how do those two things interact together um and then how does manipulation play a role in that as well how does active care play a role in that as well and so what rtp offers is that um is learning like all of the various clinical assessments um in the hierarchy of how we actually use those things within an assessment process and then using our knowledge of sciences to determine what is actually going on with the individual and then which treatments are gonna be the best treatments for that individual at that time. Um, and so it's in the very beginnings uh, right now, but we have a, a, a fundamentals course that we're launching end of this year, beginning of next year. Mm, that like is, through the organization? Through the organization. Wow. That is uh, essentially laying out the big picture principles within all the systems that we think are important in the clinical and functional assessment for, for patient care. That just so, sounds fun to build. It, it's so fun, dude. It's a lot of work. And yeah. we don't get paid for it. It's a nonprofit. Like, mm. It's literally all about giving back to the student organizations that give so much of their time and energy to make club good, mm. you know? These are, you and I were students and, you know, others that were on this podcast, um, Garrett and Victor, we were students that cared to learn more and find something we were passionate about within the scope of chiropractic, which we know 
is, is very large. Um, and we should be rewarded for that hard work in some way, um, which is also a really good uh, kind of bringing all, bringing all of our conversation together. Mm -hmm. This is literally the only outlet that's similar to a medical residency that chiropractic has. I was literally just thinking that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that's like, that's the goal. It's, it's, it's not to make money. It's to literally grow the community and make really, really good docs that care mainly about active care in clinical assessment. And for what you're doing, it's, it's the same with functional medicine, um, nutrition, diet stuff. That's, uh, this is all we really have as an outlet to learn how can we do these things in a really um, systematic way to help a lot of people. And then in addition to that, how do we make money? Mm. Yeah. So, and I think that's just, that just speaks to the integrity you have to want to help the future Cairo, even without, and putting it on, because I'm sure it is time, money and energy without getting paid in return. I mean, that, I just think that's, that's so cool and such a, such a fulfilling endeavor to take on. So thank you for doing that for the, you know, the people, yeah, the people you. that are quote unquote under us that could probably are incredibly appreciative of that opportunity. Yeah. I just, I think uh, I appreciate that. That's kind words. I take compliments very hard. Um, I'm not very good at accepting compliments. I think uh, most, I think most, most of us are. Yeah. Not great at it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I do appreciate it. And it's, it's, um, it is a very rewarding organization. Um, like we, I get questions from students all the time and nothing like gets me excited more than talking to somebody who cares about learning more. Um, and there may be, you know, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of skin in the game too. Like being a part of this organization gets me in front of a lot of students in student clubs and schools. And so I can have a little bit of personal gain from that stuff too, but that's not really the goal whatsoever. It's literally, how do I, you know, interact with like-minded doctors and students and give to them what I was seeking as a chiropractic student. Mm. I went to chiropractic school in the first place. I just like, I didn't get the answers that I wanted being a PT tech, you know? So right. I wanted more. Have you had people that have maybe been in similar shoes of yours of wanting to go to PT school, came into chiropractic school, found what you guys are doing with R2P and was just like, thank you. Yeah. Yep. Mm. A lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even physical therapists, like mm. it's very small. One of the board members, Jeff Barron is a, a physical therapist in, in Arizona in Scottsdale, actually. Interesting. And yeah, so he's on the board and um, I think there are also a lot of, you know, physical therapists that get exposed to this and they're like, Oh, this is exactly what I was looking for, you know, within our curriculum. Cause it's, it's the same. They learn the same things we do. That's why like, if you're going to do anything rehab oriented as a chiropractor, like you should be a, just as good as a, a physical therapist and physical therapists can learn manipulation without us being like butthurt about it. You know? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what the, I don't know what um, filter I should have. Um, whatever you deem is necessary <laughs> <laughs> like, i always found that funny uh, now that i said that it's just like um, when they see when other chiropractors get upset about you know pts learning and implementing manipulation and getting paid for it and then pts on the other hand getting mad that we're billing pt codes for therapy rehab um, manual therapy things like that mm -hmm. like, it doesn't matter we're, we all have the same goal yep right mm -hmm. and so we can just teach each other the things we're both really good at. And then there's plenty of people to go around in your communities. Yeah. Like how much now you're in Phoenix. So it might be a little bit different. Or you're not in Phoenix directly. Are you? Yeah. We're in, it's called Litchfield park. So it's a Southeastern or Southwestern suburb of Phoenix. Okay. And then what would you say then how many people in that area do exactly what you do? Exactly what I do. Probably none. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so like, you put time in to learn this thing that you're very passionate about and you help a lot of people mm -hmm. and you are still one person that does it in your community. Yep. And so like, we don't have to be mad that other professions are learning the same things we are, you know? Yeah. There's plenty to go around. Yeah. I think it's the letters or it's the, 
letters before the acronyms that matter more than the letters of the acronym. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good to put that. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but there is what I like to do at the end of these episodes is, so this is gut check radio. So it's all about, we're going to have these very difficult moments in our life that force us to make difficult decisions. And we got to trust something. And I always like to tell people, got to trust in your gut in order to make that decision. So what's maybe a decision that you've made recently that really forced you to have one of those gut check moments and kind of walk us through what that looked like for you? Yeah. So the biggest one was, uh, deciding to go out and, and practice on my own because it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to step into a community where nobody knows you. You have no family, you have no friends, you're not from here and start a business that's primarily based off of the services you provide. And in addition to that services that are different than the majority of other chiropractors in the area, mm. people don't know what I do here uh they still don't like when they even patients that i treat have no idea what i do i feel <laughs> they just they feel better when they're with me so yeah they just move on, but, yep yep and so the the biggest gut check i had to do was making the decision to do independent contractor style business instead of being in associate or uh um i think that's the only other option i guess yeah uh, or opening up like a brick and mortar, I guess. Um, and I think that it was a biggest big decision because I knew that the financial side of things was going to be slow. Um, and uh, I knew that I could make that decision and that's what I wanted to do because my fiance does very well for herself. And I'm very grateful that, you know, she supports me and, you know, my passion and my goals. So. Yeah. Once you pretend to play doctor on the internet. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> right this will feel like Haley does that with me Haley if you're listening <laughs> i love you <laughs> my lesson those we're good oh yeah <laughs> she already that's what i always we joke around with it's like we hear enough of each other's own voice and i'm like do you listen to my podcast and like well i listen to some of it but then like you say all the stuff all the time <laughs> i'm like yeah that's, that's true <laughs> that's a good way to put it she's just tired yeah. of hearing it yeah, I, I get tired of that sometimes myself. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about, you know, where they can find you on Instagram, social media, you know, plug your stuff. Yeah, I will. Um, before I do that, I just wanted to thank you. Like when you texted me to to be on this, I was deeply and truly honored because huh. I know you're doing great things out there. And I knew, uh, you know, you were set up, setting yourself up for success, uh, you know, as we were going through school. Um, so I'm very prou proud of you and I'm excited to, to kind of do this, uh, thing with you. So. Well, thank you. little fun fact for listeners, Corey and I actually almost lived together, but I, when I texted him before we started school, this man was in Europe and didn't respond to me for like two weeks. I was, I was in Iceland. <laughs> didn't have Wi-Fi. That's a good excuse. My, my finger too cold to text back. <laughs> yes. And my brother found a way. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I wonder what would have happened if we were roommates. Yeah, you know, I don't want to throw off the rhythm that, you know, Victor, who actually has been on this podcast before and that you and him and Max had, I think that was something special. I don't want to mess with that. Yeah, but on the outside, it's easy to, to think that way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, uh, Vic. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, I'm very blessed. Uh, we still we still made the most of it, um, you and I, too. Uh, but to... to uh, be able to get a hold of me. I actually answer a lot of Instagram messages. You're very good about uh, that. Yep. So Dr. Corey Bailey, no E in my first name, but there is an E in the last name. Um, Dr. Corey Bailey is my Instagram. Uh, so I, even if I'm not posting, you know, every single week I'm on there um, answering messages and things like that. And then uh, email at cbailey.bill.gmail.com. Uh, also on my email all the time because I have patients you know, trying to get in, I'm trying to take every single person that I can. True. You know? First <laughs> so of your always, life. Yeah. Second emails. Um, but literally any questions, like it, it gets me really excited when students reach out and 
um, other individuals just asking questions about things that I do and, um, you know, resources that I may have. Um, it, I love, you know, helping in that respect. Um, so if anybody has questions, feel free to reach out and I'll absolutely get back. Mm. Well, we appreciate your generosity. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is your, I appreciate that not only do you love what you do from the rehab side of things, but you also love to learn how you can apply it from the business end. So that, and you're humble enough to learn from other people and to have the drive on both ends of the spectrum, you know, because some people like are very driven on business, but they, they just, you know, plot from place to place. So it's cool to see you practice what you preach, love what you do, but then also try to always find ways to curtail it. Thank you. Yeah. It's hard. It's it a hard life. It's fun. It is. But it is. It's hard, but it's fun. I think that the definition is rewarding. That's the bridge of those two. That is. Potentially <laughs> could be. All right. We'll put all that information in the show notes for those of you who want to double click and learn more. But other than that, yeah, everybody, thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something valuable and informative today. And until next time, thanks for coming in, Corey. Thank you. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.